to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, Jean-Luc. Jean-Luc. I'm Captain Catherine Janeway of the USS Voyager. Captain Catherine Janeway of the USS Voyager. Welcome to the greatest generation. <laughs> the Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys just a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. Could I be any more Ben Harrison? A lot about today's episode making me question things I thought I knew <laughs> or knew to expect in a Star Trek episode. Yeah. I'm so rattled by the experience of watching Threshold, Ben. I feel like I've got to clutch something to make me feel safe. <laughs> oh, can I thump something on you and uh, you can use that as an audition for whether or not you want to clutch it? I think it's the only thing I can do at a crisis point like this, Ben. Well, I have great news for you, Adam. We have a copy of the Star Trek Voyager uh, first season show Bible. Look at that. Is that the red letter edition? <laughs> no, it's not the King James show Bible. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Let's go to church, my friend. It's good to see you all in church. It's called the Bible. That's the way God wants it. I don't know why, dude. All these questions? Is a little blind faith too much to ask? You know, I was just at Star Trek Las Vegas, Ben, and uh, I checked the nightstand. There was no Star Trek show Bible in the nightstand. They could be doing this. They could have been doing this the whole time. (laughs) It drives me crazy. (laughs) (laughs) How much does it cost to photocopy a stack of papers, Uh, staple them together? It's like a $200 Kinko's gift card amount of investment into a miriam amount of laughs. Yeah, yeah. So many laughs they could have gotten and they didn't. Uh, Adam, this is... uh, the chapter on Tom Paris, the second character yeah. discussed in the show Bible. He's, he's ahead of Chakotay in this. Yeah. And um, I'm going to read you chapter and verse. Okay. Paris's career in Starfleet was expected to be exemplary. He descended from a proud lineage of Starfleet legends. A lineage of legends, Adam. I like that. I like that alliteration. His great-grandfather, grandmother, father, and aunt were all admirals. Everyone assumed that Tom, who was bright, capable, and charming, would achieve those same heights. No one knew that Tom felt a tremendous pressure to live up to the name his family had carved and had grave doubts whether that was possible. No one suspected Tom Paris would be a fail son. Uh, he fared well enough in Starfleet Academy. His grades, while not dazzling, were decent. His greatest skill was as a pilot, and he often said he'd rather pilot a ship than sit in the captain's chair. After graduation, he joined a unit of Starfleet's SAV division, a small attack vessel, where his piloting skills would be put to good use. But there was an accident during a war games demonstration. A pilot was killed, and Tom Paris, fearing his reputation might suffer and derail his career, lied and placed the blame on a dead man. The fault was actually his, and had he simply owned up to that, he would have been disciplined. But he was young, dumb, full of cum, and terrified of bringing disgrace onto his illustrious family. (laughs) Is this the official show Bible you're reading from? What is this rag? Cum emphasis mine. (laughs) Did you find this show Bible in a hole? Uh, (laughs) 
<laughs> with some with yeah. some plates in it. Yeah, there was a there was a log in the woods that. Uh, <laughs> Uh, wow. This mistake cost him dearly. Uh, when the lie was revealed, he was discharged. His worst fears had been realized. He had sullied the family name. He sank into a severe depression, wandering the next few years aimlessly, piloting freighters and tankers just to be behind the controls of a ship again, the only place he even felt vaguely alive. At one point, he landed in a port where he fell into a game of Daba with some members of the Maquis. At the end of a long night, he ended up joining them. <laughs> oh, that old chestnut. You're, you're tying one on in some seedy port of call, and you wind up joining a dissident movement. <laughs> he woke up the next morning after having been stood up in a uh, Maquis locker. <laughs> <laughs> he was like right next to Kess, and he was like, oh, what yeah. are you doing in here? <laughs> They offered him the one thing he wanted the most, to pilot a sleek starship in situations which would require extraordinary prowess. He wasn't much interested in their cause, but it did provide a fight which took his mind off the fight with his own soul. He was with them barely a month when he was captured, and in his mind, that was another, quote, failure. When Captain Janeway contacts him in prison, it is the gift of a new chance at life, and he has always credited her for that opportunity. He would stop a phaser blast for her and is determined to make her glad she gave him a chance. He, of all the crew, is not dismayed by the cruel fate which has befallen them. What does it matter if they're at the ends of the galaxy? He's flying a ship and having adventures. That's just what he wants to be doing, and it doesn't matter particularly to him where it happens. He has an affection for Bolana, seeing in her a soul at war and reminding him of himself. And like Bolana, he is drawn toward him rock-like steadiness of Tuvok. Yeah, there is uh, something very turgid about Tuvok. <laughs> and his constitution. Mm, yeah. yeah, I mean, if only there was a way... I mean, I'm a, I'm, I'm a perv, Ben, so like my mind naturally goes to the one way I feel like Paris could repay Captain Janeway <laughs> for <laughs> kindness. Uh-huh. Uh, and boy, do we see it in this episode, Ben. <laughs> we sure do. <laughs> Uh, is that the end of the reading? That's uh, yes. Yeah, so endeth the reading, Adam. Wow. Well, uh, uh, a piece of the dilithium with you, and also with you. It always feels good to get through the liturgy. Uh, but do you want to get into the episode we came to talk about today? I don't know if I'll ever be allowed to take Star Trek communion after watching <laughs> Star Trek Voyager season two, episode fifteen. Threshold. Revert course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes, I'm not turning around. We start in media warp, Adam. The shuttle is really rocking. I don't know. I don't like seeing shuttles in danger anymore. <laughs> Too much of that lately. Yeah. And uh, they are uh, pushing it past the transwarp limit. They uh, they talk about the transwarp drive being online. He's on the radio with BLT and Kim. Did you buy that this was a a real shuttle in real danger? I felt caught up in it. It was fun. It was fun. I felt simulation vibes on this immediately, and I I was wondering how it was that it felt like a simulation to me. It's easy to say now, Mm -hmm. after the fact, after you have it all figured out. I think maybe the part that that allowed me to uh, keep the magic going Mm-hmm. is because it did not seem dangerous for so long. It's, right. It felt exciting and yeah. fun. Yeah. They have a uh, 
a crack in one of the pylons. They got to shunt all this power into the uh, structural integrity field, and uh, it just doesn't work. The, the he flies her apart. Then we cut to the wide shot, and instead of a streakily exploding shuttle. It's a wide shot of the interior of the holodeck. Yeah. And Paris is on the ground in the fetal position. You're dead. (laughs) I always want to see the exact transition of holodeck program to holodeck end program. Mm -hmm. Like... Yeah, especially if somebody is, like, sitting down. You want to see them, like, collapse onto the floor. (laughs) Yes, I would like to see that. I think that'd be really fun. (laughs) So it's that moment to theme, and after the break... It's uh, it's post gaming in the mess hall. It's Kim BLT in Paris yeah. talking about what happened. BLT says we require more pylons, and that's the problem they've got to work out. the The nacelles that are doing the warping are breaking off of the shuttle every time they run this sim. And ordinarily, I like a server that I can, you know, have a bit of rapport with, mm-hmm. who can maybe, like, uh, be a part of the conversation from time to time. Right. Fucking Neelix here <laughs> is, like, just elbowing his way into this situation in a way that you know he does all the time. Yeah. With every conversation, anytime he freshens up someone's coffee, he's going in with some unsolicited advice or some questions that just derail the conversation that he's interrupting. Great. It's like, I like a, a personable server, and I like uh, having a, an enjoyable interaction with the server, but I don't want the server to sit down at the table. The few times that that's happened, the sit-down server, I don't know what to make of that. <laughs> I don't know what to do. I admire the boldness of it, yeah. but, uh, but mostly it's yeah. awkward for everyone. I used to go to a restaurant occasionally in, in Brooklyn where... There would be like a like brown butcher paper on the table, and the server would sit down at the table and write the menu down on the on oh, the paper. Yeah. <laughs> that is so Brooklyn. <laughs> Didn't really care for it. <laughs> but Neelix is doing that thing where he doesn't quite understand what's being talked about and starts asking questions, and then does that thing that feels a lot like a parent wanting to help you with an internet outage. Like, <laughs> you don't know how this works, so the help you're offering is actually anti-help. It's right. a, it's actually a drag on the problem <laughs> we're trying to solve. But Neelix doesn't have that kind of self-awareness. Like, I'm going to have to explain so many fundamental concepts to you. Yeah. All I need to do is unplug and replug. Like, <laughs> But this is a script technology. You introduce a dumb into a scene with some smarts mm-hmm. so that the smarts have an opportunity to explain the problem of the cold open to you yeah. in the scene after the cold open so that we understand what happened. Yeah, Neelix is really the Luke Skywalker of this episode. He's uh, yeah. he, he's just a bright-eyed naif who comes into every situation and needs it to be explained to him a little bit. With the blast shield down, I can't even see. How am I supposed to fight? It's been a long time since we've seen a scene between him and Kes. Are they not an item anymore? Kes wasn't in the last episode. Is she in this one? Wait a minute, where'd she go? Bring her back. Yeah, I mean, she's the doctor's assistant. Oh yeah, I guess she is. And then there's when she kisses Paris, Neelix gets so fucking pissed when she kisses his dead body. <laughs> uh-huh, yeah. He's like, he's like, I knew it! I knew it! <laughs> so what we learn in this scene is that uh, they're using a new kind of dilithium to run this warp speed experiment. And when they explain what's happening to Neelix, he 
takes it as an opportunity to uh, describe a similar problem, to achieve a sort of common cause with the group. Right. I've fucked up ships too. (laughs) But quite accidentally stumbles into a comparison that serves as an inspiration to Kim and Paris. They, in this moment, are able to hypothesize a new solution to this problem. And this would be a great problem to solve, because if you can break Mm -hmm. the Warp 10 barrier, you can go anywhere in the universe instantly... And that would right. uh, that would really help them get home. Wow! And you're working on this in real basic terms. They have been driving so fast that the tires are pulling away from the Previa. <laughs> but how they need to look at this is that it's the Previa pulling off of the tires. Am I making any sense here? They've been thinking about it upside down and backwards, and Neelix, uh, like uh, from the mouth of babes, Neelix kind of presents yeah. them with the. Con- conceptual framework that they need to solve the problem. Right. And uh, they're really excited. Uh, they slap him on the back and then they go back to the simulator. And uh, Tom Paris gets to experience simulated warp 10. Uh, and we, we see this from like the the end of the the uh, keynote presentation in the McLaughlin group. Issue one. Like the camera slowly pulls out from us watching a, a bit of the episode that we wouldn't have gotten to see otherwise. I love transitions like this. They're not super flashy. They're, they're that subtle flash that mm-hmm. I really appreciate. Yeah, that's nice. So we can try a manned test flight? I love this moment. Like, depending on the year you're listening to this show, and I know that's crazy to think about, <laughs> like, we're in a year that is doing a lot of space experimentation. You got your billionaires doing billionaire things, but you'd also have like some real science happening with respect to sending capsules up to the space station yeah. and a bunch of companies like bidding their services for that. And we got a we got our first helicopter on Mars. Yeah, and what's so interesting about the context of that when thought about in relation to this moment is that the Voyager crew has gone straight from holodeck trials to Manned trials. It <laughs> they, feels like they skipped out on the on the unmanned trial part. They get like a Russian street dog and put... <laughs> or the part where they could put a hollow emitter inside the shuttle with maybe the dock inside or oh. maybe some sort of programming that, that makes the shuttle do it. No, they're going straight to, to a person. The person's going to be Tom Paris. Uh, he's going to join the elite ranks of Orville Wright, Neil Armstrong... And Zephram Cochran. Yeah. Big names. Some of the biggest names in the industry. Yeah. Just a bunch of white guys. Having been given this awesome responsibility, Paris gets some robe time before the mission ahead. You got to do that. Yeah. Just lounge around, get your mind right. I love that he Pat- has like a piece of patio furniture in the middle of his quarters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is Paris in repose. Yeah. And... uh <laughs> And Captain Janeway interrupts this moment uh, to say that she has some bad news. Doc Holliday has recommended that Kim make the test flight yeah. for medical reasons. And Paris is like, Kim always gets to go where no one's gone before. It's not fair. <laughs> it was weird. Like, like Kim really rode for the Delaney sisters going on the mission. I didn't quite get it, but he, he talked about morale being a huge, huge part mm-hmm. of mission success. Yeah. I mean, there was an earlier version of this script where the whole thing was just about whether you could get with both Delaney sisters. And yeah. and that the speech from the captain was like, Mr. Kim, if you make this happen, you will join the elite ranks of Neil Armstrong. 
Orville Wright. <laughs> By getting with both Delaney sisters, you will make history. <laughs> Paris has been grounded, Adam. There's coffee in that slight enzymatic imbalance in your cerebellum. There's like a 2% chance of brain damage, and, uh, and Paris is like, you don't know what I did in prison. <laughs> yeah. That's nothing to me. I, I drank Pruno for 10 years. <laughs> what do you think the percent chance of brain damage from that is? Yeah. I mean, if we're talking about percentages, Ben, uh, there's a 2% chance of, of brain damage here, but a 100% loss of historical credit. Yeah. So he's got to do this to throw this in his dad's face and all those kids at school who didn't believe in him. I mean, there are reasons why this is worth the risk for him. I mean, we uh, we read the Tom Paris Bible entry just uh, just earlier in this episode, and this like really speaks to that in a way that feels like maybe it's been hinted at before, but this really speaks directly to the pressure he felt was on him as a kid and as a as a uh, cadet. I really like B. Dunk's performance here. I think he takes it in a direction that is consistent with his character. I wonder if there were other takes here where he went in the direction of like being sad and crushed versus being aggressive and crushed and defensive, you know? Yeah. Like when we see him interact with his fake dad mm-hmm. in that one scene where everyone's going insane, that was a version of, of Paris that I half expected here. Right. Especially when he evoked uh, his family as reasons to do it. I know what my dad will say. He'll say, wow, you could only get to warp 9.9. That adds up. So it's shuttle launch time. Paris was, was given permission from Janeway. He's the guy. And so he pilots the shuttle Cochrane. Yeah. Named not for a great man, but just a man. <laughs> and uh, letting history be the judge. What sucks about flying the shuttle Cochrane is that uh, you can't turn off the Ooby Dooby song. Cochrane to Voyager. All systems are nominal, increasing speed. We'll keep up with you as long as we can. <laughs> it just plays on a loop over and over again. Yeah. No one likes to fly the shuttle Cochrane for that reason. No. They say that they are depressurizing the shuttle bay, and uh, that surprised me because, you know, on the Enterprise D, the shuttle bay has a force field, and you just fly yeah. the shuttle through it. What's up with that low-rent shuttle bay on the Voyager? It's like going from a luxury car to an economy car, yeah. going down to this crappy Voyager. BLT is monitoring the status of the shuttle from engineering. She's shoulder-to-shoulder shoulder with Trader Guy. Yeah, I don't like it, but it's, it's sort of a great sort of Damocles here. That, yeah. that just doesn't fall the way you would expect. No, and, and like if you missed last week's episode and just see this guy in this scene, uh, you wouldn't even notice it. It's something yeah. that is there to like be an extra story element for the people that are paying close attention. I really like that. So uh, Paris looks into the camera and goes, I'm Tom Paris and this is Breaking Warp 10. <laughs> And then, like, puts on a a Stars and Stripes cape and, like, a weird oversized helmet. Mm -hmm. This is a uh, slightly different uh, model of shuttle than Mm -hmm. uh, than the bunk beds that we had on the Enterprise D. Should we call this the race car bed shuttle? It's very sleek. Very sleek. And it works. It's sleek enough to get him to warp 10. Yeah, but as soon as he does, his voice gets warped, too. Yeah. I love this moment when we're like momentarily celebrating on the bridge and then you hear like excitement panic 
<laughs> on the call from Paris. That that very strange combination of happy having accomplished the goal, but also what now? <laughs> Things are fucked. Yeah. And he disappears after this. And they're like, shit, he could be literally anywhere. Like the the universe is the search radius for finding Tom Paris. He could be in your tax documents folder right now, <laughs> Harry Kim. But just as they are starting to grapple with the ramifications of that, something comes out of subspace, and it is the race car bed. Yeah. They don't milk this moment very long, do they? No. Paris is unconscious when, uh, when they get him to Six Bay. Can you wake him? Wake up, Lieutenant! When Paris wakes up, he's kind of in a post-warp threshold refractory period. He's feeling good. He's kind yeah. of blissed out. He was a being of pure energy for a minute. There's that moment, though, like as time goes on, he's, he's talking excitedly about all the places he had been, which are all the places. Yeah. And as he describes these moments, they start to fade away from him in a way that makes him very sad. I mean, he was all the places, but also he kind of only lists places that we're familiar with, <laughs> which is a little bit sus. It's a little bit of episode misdirection, though, because this is the moment where I was like, well... This is going to be a story about Paris doing anything to get back to Warp 10 the way oh. that uh, they want to get back to the island and lost, you know? Like, Chasing the Warp 10 dragon. Yeah, so that's where my head was at in this moment, but uh, that's not exactly how it goes. So in walks BLT, stoked about the success first, and secondarily happy that Paris is alive. <laughs> And like and third on the list is thanks for not banging up the shuttle. Yeah. Like glad we got that one back. Yeah. That's one of the cooler ones and we didn't want to lose that. Yeah. So the the trouble is like after Paris went through this adventure, he's going to be on bed rest for for the time being. So Kim's the next man up if yeah. if they do more experiments is the idea. Yeah, but first they need to get the the logs and and download the data in the shuttle. And when they start downloading it, they're like, wow, like, true to what he said, like, this shuttle has uh, navigation data from every square inch of this sector, which is kind of a lot of space. It's over 5 billion gigaquads of information. It's sort of more information on the quarters that the Delaney sisters live than you would expect, though. Like, there's a general sense of... (laughs) Of the area around them in the quadrant, but then like a very specific amount of data about right. those it, two quarters. It's every inch of the sector, but every millimeter of the Delaney <laughs> sisters' quarters. <laughs> it's like a much higher resolution just yeah. in that one little particular part. And uh, as they're as they're doing this, uh, Trader Guy is off in the corner, like literally like putting wax into his curly mustache. Yeah, because what we're getting here is value. Yeah, I'm sure that this will develop over episodes, but if I was Trader Guy right now, I'd be like, wow, we may be able to go home. Like, this fucking rules. And maybe I was wrong about the captain uh, in in the last episode that I was in. It is extremely weird that he has assumed mission failure here. Yeah, and assumed that like the best path forward for him is to deal with the Kazon. The Kazon, to my knowledge, are not trying to go back to the Alpha Quadrant. Correct me if I'm wrong. Like, <laughs> what is exactly his play there? Doesn't seem to be their uh, primary motivation as a species. But also, yeah. yeah, like I don't know what his motivation is as a character. Like, yeah. it seems like it's it seems like it is mostly about fuck you, K 
Captain Janeway at this right. point. Strange motivations. Mm-hmm. So in the mess hall, uh, Neelix is, is pouring a Paris delight, which uh, the subtitle on the, on the bean says, a thick and ropey blend. <laughs> thick and ropey because despite all the braggadocio, it doesn't actually get shot that often. <laughs> right. And uh, mid-conversation with BLT, Paris kind of blurfs for a second, and and the two of them think it might just be some indigestion, and it might just be, uh, you know, an acid reflux thing with, mm-hmm. with the Paris delight. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I don't know. The symptoms come on pretty strong here. Yeah. And, and, uh, and when Paris collapses, he looks like a man who has had fish for dinner. transporter room to medical emergency he sure does and they rush him to six bay and uh it is determined that he is having an allergic reaction to the water in the coffee it's shocking shocking how could that be possible he's never had an allergic reaction like that before i thought it was interesting that blt called for an emergency transport and they couldn't get a lock on him i thought that was an an interesting tell about what may be happening to him too right like yeah they said something about the reason for not getting a lock. I don't know. It seems consistent with someone who's going through some crazy biological changes, maybe. Like your head goes to like, oh, like maybe he's like phasing in and out of reality or something. Mm-hmm. And the doc is like, I mean, the doc gave him a clean bill of hell when he got, health when he got back. He, mm-hmm. He's like, he's fine. He's just sleeping. There's nothing that was anomalous then. And what's anomalous now is that he's having an allergic reaction to something that would be very unusual to be allergic to. And yeah. then and then it seems like he can't breathe the kind of air that normal humans breathe, and they have to replace the air in the ICU with something else. This is a great doctor episode. I like his quick thinking. Yeah. I like the idea of a force field lung that he's put into. Yeah. Well, after losing a patient last episode, he's really got to like fight back into the good graces of the crew. Right, we're we're running out of torpedoes here, guys. Yeah. <laughs> I know we technically have one torpedo for every crew member if we need to shoot them into space. <laughs> the doc really cuts to the chase here. Uh, Paris is dying, and in order to try to save his life, he's going to need all of the intel from what happened to him on board the shuttle. So that is going to be running in the background for a little bit. We do a cut to exterior of the ship and back into Six Bay to uh, establish the passage of time. And Paris is uh, getting getting worse and worse. Paris has heard this, clearly. <laughs> he's heard that he's dying. And also establishing the passage of time is that Paris is starting to have, like, flaky skin on his face. Solution. Neutrogena T-gel. It works. And it's pretty... It's pretty sanguine about the fact that these are his uh, final moments. He's mutating. This is a really solid B-Dunks performance here. He's he's talking about his childhood and, and pizza and kissing Kess. Like, like it's, it's sort of a mania happening here on screen. Yeah. And uh, I found it really affecting. And, and like, look at B-Dunks here acting with all this shit on him. It's the skin off the sides of my eye! Increase the dosage to 85 rats per second. I don't even want to be around anymore. Big funeral. Yeah. He, he's affecting. Talking about, like, his childhood and, and being a real, uh, a kid that was prone to crying and... Mm-hmm. 
crying and losing his virginity in the same room, <laughs> probably at the same time. Uh-huh. Yeah, there's a lot of fluid coming out of him that day. Thick ropes of tears. <laughs> yeah, that's the Tom Paris way. I mean, we we only get a couple of examples of his major grief moments in his life before he flatlines, and it's RSVP Tom Paris. He did. Doc Holliday somberly removes the gas from the the room and and lowers the force field, and that's when Kess enters. But she should get a good night's sleep before they cut up the corpse, according <laughs> to the doc. Like the doc does not let ten seconds go by before he's like, you know, uh, you better rest your sawing hand for the morning. Yeah, listen. Um... I know that you're uh, you you're not you don't have as firm a grip on this ability, but he did want to uh, he did want to be cremated and have his ashes scattered. So if you could work on uh, getting getting up to a place where you could freshen him up, uh, yeah. after the autopsy, that would be great. You know, Hollow Disneyland is the only place you're allowed to spread cremains <laughs> in the future. <laughs> don't even try it, the real one. Yeah, Kess kisses Paris on his very sweaty cheek. In uh, just a very generous act, I thought, given how gross Paris looks here. Yeah, pretty gnarly. Later that night, the doc is like working with all the lights turned off in Six Bay at his laptop and hears spooky noises from the other room. Say, a real spooky scene where he, he goes and pulls the sheet off of Paris's face and Paris is back. I'm back, baby! You're alive. The doc is uh, justifiably surprised by this. Yeah. Medically and personally. He does that thing that I feel like is usually something in like a movie about radiation or poisoning where he reaches up to his hair and pulls away a big a big yeah. chunk of hair. <laughs> I mean, Paris is plausibly scared and confused by this moment. And doc... Gives it to him straight. Hey, man, you got two hearts. Yeah, you're turning Klingon, maybe. So, I mean, kind of good news, bad news, I guess. <laughs> Coffee black. Make it yourself. I'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow. Make it yourself. When we come back from commercial, we get uh, another FaceTime between Trader Guy and uh, that same Kazon that he was talking to in the last episode. Yeah, I don't know if we ever hear his name on screen, but it's Reddick. Yeah. And uh, I loved the, there's like some spy craft that goes totally unexplained, which is that he has to keep like rhythmically tapping these three buttons and he has to like, he has like only a certain, uh, you know, number of seconds before security will detect the transmission. I thought that was fun. Like, I, I don't have any idea what it was, but it just made it feel like this is some really sneaky shit going on. And he is talking about selling this technology to the Kazon. What are the Kazon going to gonna do with this tech come on yeah they don't even have water they don't have any good ideas of what to do with it yeah gonna use it to make bigger more pine coney heads for themselves probably (laughs) yeah unclear about where this is going to go at this moment in time reddick again not extremely helpful (laughs) in a way that i admire this should prove my worth to you reddick we'll see Captain Janeway comes down to Six Bay to visit her pilot, and he's uh, he's really starting to look like Goldmember here with his peely skin. I really like this sequence and its reveal, because Janeway sees the doc first. 
And I, th- I feel like there's a lot of medical dramas that do this kind of trick. Like, like tell me about my beloved friend or family member. And the doc's like, I should probably let you know before you go in there. Uh, it's just like 50 pounds of burger. And uh, <laughs> nothing can prepare you for what that's going to be like. Yeah. And, and like we walk with Janeway into the room where Paris is. And, like, we've learned that, like, organs are being added and removed to his body, like, on a cellular level, and his brains are being rewired on the fly. And so you're getting the imagination picture of what he's going to look like. Yeah. And then she walks past Kess, and Kess has, like, resting, disgusted face while she does work. (laughs) I love Jennifer Lian's work here. And then when we, like, cross the threshold, we see Paris... And he looks like Conan O'Brien dipped in Vaseline and kettle cooked potato chips. He is gross. And his head is like throbbing yeah. in and out. Like his skull looks like he's got soft skull. So it's like, it's it's breathing on its own. It's nasty. Yeah. She tells him there's only two things she hates in the galaxy. People who are intolerant of other cultures and the Dutch. Uh-huh. He uh, he peels off some of this skin and uh, and saves it for later. You do get Pizza the Hut vibes from Tom Paris here. Yeah, it's a very creepy, weird performance. He's he's like very erratic and contra- self contradictory, and like gets angry at her. We're all concerned about you, Tom. We're here to help you. There's too much fucking shit on me. I can't breathe. Lieutenant, you'll know that's not true. I'm so hot! Smashes himself against the force field at one point. I know before in that earlier scene, I was like, well, why didn't why didn't B-Dunks like, get more emotional earlier? But what's happening is he left himself more runway to get weirder and, and for there to be more mania yeah. involved. And yeah. I like that, that he left himself room to add the amps here, you know? Yeah. He starts to like lump her in with the thing that he's been fighting his whole life of of people telling him that he's great and he's he's doing a great job when he knows that he is like actually not equal to the challenges that uh, are presented to him. My dad told me that I could never get this gross. Well, yeah. how do you like this, dad? <laughs> <laughs> I took my tongue off. Ah. <laughs> oh, it is so gnarly. Like Second time in season two that I feel like Voyager has approached the apex of grossness for Star Trek. I way spoke too soon about adding season two episodes to my Mount Grossmore. This is way on there. And this scene specifically. (laughs) Oh, my God. It's so upsetting to watch. I mean, just the makeup is upsetting. But then when the tongue thing happens, it's like, wow, I, I looked away from the TV. I couldn't deal with it. It's really well done body horror. And I think that like the mania helps that, you know, like the, like there are moments where it really feels like Tom Paris and a, and a man we sympathize with for his plight. And then other moments where he is terrifying. And I think if you didn't, if, if, if it was all terrifying and aggression, you wouldn't be as repulsed in a way. The part that was the most upsetting to me wasn't the gelatinousness of the tongue. Mm hmm. It wasn't even the color of the tongue. It was the cruel intentions amount of saliva that <laughs> that hung between the tongue and his mouth. Yeah. And uh, 
I love how they pay this off later too. Like there's tongue continuity where where Paris is talking without his tongue. And yeah. <laughs> gross as hell. Yeah. I love the little giggle when it comes out too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we've got to save Paris. The, the doc comes up with a plan. Uh, he wants to irradiate him with a certain kind of uh, protons that can only be gotten from the warp core. And uh, what they want to do is bombard all of the like parts of his body that have mutated already with this uh, with this type of radiation. And so the only the original DNA will be left, and his body will have to rebuild using that. Yeah, I mean that's I, like the blueprint that it would use, right? So that kind of makes sense. When we see the chamber he's put in, uh, none of the chamber covers his face, so I guess <laughs> I guess they're gonna leave that alone. Mm-hmm. They're not gonna do anything about the tongue. Yeah, he's like almost uh, looking the way Jordy did in the episode where he turned into an invisible man. Oh, good call. At this point, it, he really looks like that. Yeah, good thinking. It's funny how like how Paris goes back and forth, like his lucidity is really ping ponging back and forth, like, and how, like this is a scene that made me think about Picard in All Good Things, like people trusted Picard when he was talking that kind of crazy in a way that Paris doesn't command that kind of, of respect. Like, because in a, in a certain context, you know, Paris is, is wanting to leave the ship for reasons. And I think if Picard were in this same circumstance and he wanted to leave the ship for reasons, he might be listened to for a moment in a way that Paris is not getting. Yeah, he would. The people are more deferential. Yeah. In that context, uh, we get to see the the uh, scene where Paris breaks out from the standpoint of the FaceTime camera. <laughs> I love this perspective. We attended a, a funeral for a family member recently over Zoom, and it was like one of the worst Zoom things I've seen so far since the wow. pandemic started, which was they opened a laptop at the back of a church and then the officiant walked all the way to the to the like pulpit at the other end of the church to deliver oh <laughs> the my funeral. God. It was just like this is the stu- like nobody needs to see the audience. We need to hear what you're saying. <laughs> like this is the worst possible positioning for this laptop. And someone's not muted out there during the service, and it's just like... I shit you not, Adam. There was a guy that had Fox News on full blast watching it on his television while he was also watching the funeral on Zoom and could not figure out how to mute his mic. Wouldn't turn off Fox News, couldn't figure out how to mute his mic. That is uh, not fair. (laughs) It was fucking insane. I've got to get that platinum, get that low, better large... A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. 
To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it. With Squarespace. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. So so the Doc and Kess watch as the, uh, as the gunfight goes down in engineering. And it becomes clear that uh, that lizard man Tom Paris has broken out. Lieutenant, what's happening? This is one of those decisions that I think, when you and I talk about the constraints of independent film and video production, like it's inspirational to say, you know, like the the constraints of budget or whatever, it just forces you to be more creative. Right. But often, like, that's just like a fucking jack-off hand motion to that. <laughs> you know what? I would, 10 out of 10 times, I would rather have more budget and time yeah. to do the things that I wanted to do. But yeah. this scene here 
is an example of a constraint creating a great creative decision because I don't want to be in engineering seeing this happen. Yeah. I want to see the beams cross the screen and I want to see Kess and the doc watch in horror guessing about what's happening and hearing a potential monster you know nearest the the most sensitive part of the ship like yeah. this is great. It's great. And then I love I love just the like the world building moment that happens next of Tuvok getting over like a all ship broadcast yeah saying that they have a level 3 security alert like i feel like we are always on the bridge or wherever the security alert is getting announced from yeah. we're never in the in the corridor or in 6 bay hearing that announcement and i love that yeah it's a very lower decks perspective that i wish we got more often yeah so Janeway is alerted. She's like on her way down to engineering and uh, pulls a phaser out and gets the gets the download from Chakotay. Uh, but she gets body checked into an elevator by Lizard Boy and up on uh, up on the bridge. Like he shot something crucial enough that they don't have sensors and they don't have a bunch of the things that they would use to solve a problem like this. So by the time he is in the race car class shuttle and out of the ship. They're unable to even grab him with a tractor beam. I think one of the other comparisons to the Geordi LaForge episode where he turned into glow-in-the-dark LaForge yeah. was that, I mean, they showed full-body compositions of him right. in that episode. Yeah. Almost to the detriment of the episode. And I think this episode does a good job of just keeping it at a cowboy type of shot with him like they don't they don't show his entire body in a way that could read as comical or weird yeah and i think that that was a good choice i do too i think uh he you know he kind of stays alien xenomorph in that way he's it's it's and and the fact that he's also changing like every third time we see him makes it like what what he is scarier and and weirder and they don't have to show his giant wet crank flopping around <laughs> as he gallops around the ship. Well, they had the, uh, they had the budget to do some puppetry in this episode, and they considered it for that, but they took that in a different direction. <laughs> yeah, they spent all the puppet money a couple episodes ago. Well, they, spent, they, spent, it, they spent it in the last... Uh... In the last act of this episode. Yeah. <laughs> So he takes Janeway into Transwarp. They she she wakes up in the shuttle and they've already they've already gone to plaid. I love the hopelessness of the chase. You know, like the Voyager isn't fast enough to pursue. Yeah. And this baby's gone. Gone baby gone. And we come back to Starship Voyager and it's and it's like days later. Uh Captain Chicote has been uh has been making a lot of changes on the ship. We come back and everybody's in Mayquis uniforms. They've even mm -hmm. reprogrammed the doctor to be wearing a leather vest and a sash. Can I do this? They've changed course. Yeah. The doc has a lot of face tats and a couple of tears to represent crew members he's lost. <laughs> That's the end of the episode. No. What really happens is that they find the shuttle. On a wet class planet? And we're already going to a bog planet, which is like the worst kind of planets as far as planets go. The doctor is like, you know that thing we tried that didn't work to, to fix him? Uh, it's going to work this time. <laughs> we just got to turn it up. As long as you can find him, uh, we can fix this situation. Right. And they beam down to 
the bogs of a jungle planet and find like the captain and had Paris have turned into really big axolotls, basically. What is that word? You don't know an axolotl? No. An axolotl is a, a weird kind of salamander native to Mexico. Look at that. Yeah. Axolotl. Ankylosaur. I think it's an Aztec word. I was not aware of that. Axolotl used to be my screen name on like AOL Instant Messenger. There you go. That's how you know it. Yeah. I, I worked in a biology lab when I was in high school, and they had axolotls there, and I thought that they were really neat. These two axolotls are <laughs> big as hell. They're like two rolled-out sleeping bags. They're that big. What we've come to learn is that they represent a evolutionary endpoint for humans. Like the going to transwarp kicked the process of evolution into overdrive, and <laughs> the doctor explains that. Yeah, but Ben, before we find that out. Chakotay shoots both of them, which I think is a great order of operations. Like, we don't, I mean, we're sort of assuming that it's that it's Paris and Janeway. Like, there's the joke about, you know, which one is which based on, on, their, on their genitals. Yeah, we got to flip them over. <laughs> but this is, this is like, like Chakotay just beams down and shoots. Yeah. He's got to get them back to the ship. And, but before they do, they, we get to see the, the offspring of these two... What salamanders the fuck? they come up out of a hole in the sand and then slither into into the drink i don't know how i'm gonna enter this into the log i thought chakotay was gonna shoot these things too and so three of these things get left on this planet and they're like we'll just let them uh do what they're gonna do and uh and we cut back up to six bay where the captain and paris have been uh have been restored to their human stage of evolution is this the craziest elliptical edit Star Trek has ever dropped on us? <laughs> I was so upset by this. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> we need to have a point to all this. And and now is the time. This conversation is that. Yeah. She doesn't know how she's going to explain all of this to Tom Mervyn's. I never wanted to have children. Uh, yeah, he's he's very embarrassed that he's sired offspring with her. They kind of do some bits about, like, maybe it was you that uh, kicked it to me, and maybe it was me that kicked it to you. We'll never know. I mean, the way Paris puts it is, like, you know, sometimes you fuck around and get turned into a salamander, fuck your <laughs> captain and have lizard babies with her, and uh, and find out that it was really all about uh, having a healthier self-image in the end. <laughs> maybe not putting so much of your self-worth into your career. Yeah. Paris, like, almost literally says, see, I learned something today. Woof. <laughs> it's a real schmaltzy button on this episode, Adam. Given how uh, how wet and glistening so many things are in this episode, uh, mm -hmm. the schmaltz at the end uh, still surprised me. Mm -hmm. Shouldn't have, given all that, but it did. Did you like this episode? You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullying, I don't like threats, and I don't like you. <laughs> I like this episode. I like it a lot. It's fun. To me, this episode achieves fun first. I think it's I think its ending is weak, but also I think that Star Trek does best when 
when we can expect a few episodes like this in a given season. Like, I want weird shit that is like, what? What? Like, that's an experience I really love having when I'm watching an episode of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Here is my honest experience of, of rewatching this episode for the show today, Adam. I rewatched the episode for the show, and then I, like, looked it up and discovered that it, it was an episode that, like, uniquely inspired fan outrage. I was oh. shocked. Oh. I never experienced it like that. I mean, I, I think I watched this when it aired on television and thought it was, mm-hmm. like, a... B minus execution of uh, an interesting and weird idea for an episode. But I never thought it was like a dog shit episode or like an offensive abuse of Star Trek canon or anything. It's just a fucking weird episode. Like I, I read that like the showrunners like decanonized this one. It's considered Whoa, really? to like not have happened in Star Trek canon. Can they even do that? I don't know. They can't do that. I mean, you you hope they can. In in, it, I, I think it's called the code of honor rule. <laughs> oh right, yeah, it should be possible, huh? <laughs> but I I don't know. I kind of ride for this episode. I know it's not great, but I I kind of ride for it. Uh, is my position on the on the matter? How about yourself, Adam? I mean, you're you're very persuasive with your point of view here, and I I really am inclined to agree. For this reason specifically, like, I really like when the show takes big swings and gets weird. What I didn't want was another episode where characters get space drunk and accidentally fuck. I feel like we've gotten (laughs) eight episodes that are basically that. Give me a new spin on, on that. And that is utterly what this was. Yeah. I I laughed a ton in this episode just at the audacity of those big swings that it took. Totally. I like that this episode signaled toward a kind of Star Trek lore, the Warp 10 rule. I like that this episode spoke directly to that and fucked around and found out (laughs) why we never talk about or experiment with Warp 10. Yeah. And why we probably never will again. Look... The difference between a bad episode, like on the on the chart of four squares, the difference between like the the unenjoyable bad episode and the enjoyable bad episode is so extreme to me. I right. would rather watch a, an enjoyably bad episode over an unenjoyably good episode, even most of the time. Yeah, and Threshold is emblematic of that. It's greatest gen canon. I'll tell you that right now. Hell yeah. No one's uncanonizing Threshold <laughs> from greatest gen lore. I'm happy I watched it. It's crazy as hell. Mm-hmm. There's no way season two is going to get more crazy than this. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> like, not a chance you not could beat Threshold in weird as hell. <laughs> I'll, I'll stake that claim right now. Wow. <laughs> um, wow, Adam. Well, uh... Do you want to uh, see if we have any any weird as hell priority one messages in the inbox? How fitting would that be? That would be great. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first priority one message is of a personal nature. It's from Julia, and it's to Robert. The message goes like this. Robert, 
You are a truly rad dude who's a great friend, husband, and soon-to-be father. Wow. I can't wait to raise the boy with you. And if this shout-out is at or around April 1st, happy birthday. Amazing. Oh, boy. Julia, going for the April 1st birthday date. Who knows when the birth date of Robert and Julia's uh, child will be. Yeah. But, uh... Wow, so so Robert and Julia could be way on down the road of this thing. Yeah, they could already be uh, uh, totally sick of being parents. <laughs> yeah, wow. Uh, or I totally hope... in love with being parents. Either one is possible. It sure is. It's one or the other, though. There's nobody that's yes. got neutral feelings about that. No. Uh, congratulations uh, to both of you, and uh, and happy belated birthday, Robert. Yeah, happy birthday, Robert. And happy birthday to your son, Adam, our next Priority One message is from Lulu, and it's to Plaskina. And it goes like this. Well, buddy, we are finally here. The episode that defines Voyager. (laughs) There are three salamander youths that will grow up alone in a cold world, never to be remembered by their parents. I wanted to give you a thing those poor amphibicids will never have. Love and birthday wishes. You are one of my best buds, and I hope that all of your birthdays are the very best. I think Lulu is totally right here. Like, in the same way that uh, that giant Spock is just out there somewhere. <laughs> or, or like, the idea was to go back to the Genesis planet to yeah. check up on a, on a torpedo they shot there. We've got to go back. Yeah. we got to go back to this planet and visit those kids. we got to find out what's going on with the nubbin bugs. There's a lot of un- untied threads in Star Trek. We gotta grab those three salamanders. We've gotta we gotta imprison them in jars until we can find out what's happening, Ben. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, if you would like to uh, wish somebody a happy birthday or tell us what the defining episode of Voyager is, uh, you can leave a priority one message by going to maximumfun.org/jumbotron. We really appreciate it because it helps us uh, continue to support the production of this program. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! One character we didn't talk about very much is the character that takes over this episode to me, and that's Doc Holliday. Yeah. He has a couple of, of line reads here that are hilarious to me. Like, I'm glad you had a good time. <laughs> and it's a miracle he's still alive. Real laughs out of me this episode to go along with the uh, probably unintentional laughs that I got out of other parts of the ep. <laughs> yeah, Robert Bricardo doing strong comedy work here. So I'm going to make the doc my drunk Shimoda. Wow. What about you? Good call. Uh, I think I'm going to give it to Ensign Trader, uh, whatever his name is. The guy that, like, sees that they have crossed the transwarp barrier and is like, I am still going to betray these guys to to the local gangster aliens in this quadrant who have never been shown to be trustworthy. That's my play. Jonas, right? Yeah, Michael Jonas. Yeah. Uh, just Just a real bonehead move by him, in my opinion. It's a deal with the devil, Jonas. Mm hmm. And it's a devil you don't even know that well. Gotta do better. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta be doing deals with devils you know, at least. At the very minimum. 
That's just good business. Objection noted. We'll do this without you. Do it. Do it. Well, we got to be dealing with the next episode of Star Trek Voyager, Ben. And uh, for that, we got to figure out how. Yeah. We fuck around and find out how by uh, going to the game of Butthole Drill, the Caretaker, where we are currently on square 19. Adam, our next episode is season two, episode 16, Meld. Unable to come up with a logical motive for a shipboard murder, Tuvok performs a mind meld with the perpetrator that brings out Tuvok's killer instinct. Just a terribly written capsule. It uses Tuvok twice in the same clause. This sounds a lot like the the Dax episode, right? Oh, yeah. uh, where, Where Dax gets to know the murderer inside. Yeah. The, the suppressed murderer within her. Yeah. yeah. That sounds like that kind of story. I wonder if it'll be like it. Talk about your all-time mind meld backfires. I know. Can't do that. Well, Adam, uh, why don't you warm up that bone and throw it here on the board and tell us how we're going to be doing this next episode. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. All right, Ben, I've got the die in my hand. Uh, we are... We're, like, really in danger from a lot of different squares here. We've got His Eyes Uncovered, the Tamarian-style metaphors episode, two squares ahead, and then we got a banger a few squares after that. That banger... We hit that banger last time. ...is what we hit last time, so uh, we'll see what happens this time around. Give this bone a roll. Uh, And what I did is I rolled a five, (laughs) hit the banger... And we're right back on the very same square. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Wow, this has never happened in the history of the game of buttholes. So uh, I got us nowhere. That's that's my job on the show, kind of always. Much and much like Tom Paris in Six Bay, you just ran at the force field full speed and bonked your face into it. Yeah, I bonked us into it, Ben. Yeah. Wow. We're both inside that runabout. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I often forget that, that I'm trapped in there with you. Yeah, but you know what, uh, Ben? We're not alone in here either. We have we have the friends of DeSoto mm-hmm. to support us, and uh, so many of them make the show possible by going to MaximumFun.org slash join. Yeah, we're not uh, trapped in the runabout with the friends of DeSoto. They're trapped in here with us! <laughs> uh, <laughs> we really appreciate everyone that supports the show or recommends it to a friend or leaves a nice review on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast app you use. Yeah. Uh, we really, really love uh, all of that stuff and it helps us grow the show. And uh, that is great for everyone. Uh, maybe you're not a friend of DeSoto and want to find out how you can become one. Well, you can meet friends of DeSoto just about anywhere on the internet on on all of the places people do social media that's uh, true one of, uh we've got the discord group at drunkshimoda.com we've got uh we've got so many facebook groups out there uh you can talk to a friend of soto on twitter using the hashtag greatest gen you can talk to the card daddy bill tilly on twitter he's our social media expert and he's at bill tilly 1973 he is uh he's he's did I call him a social media expert? I would say no one's a social media expert, but he's our social media manager. Yeah. And uh, he makes being a friend of DeSoto so much fun on the internet. Yeah. I think uh, next week or in the next week or two, we're going to do a big mail call episode. And if you've got something you'd like to send in, 
uh, get in touch through the Greatest Trek Twitter account. Send a DM yeah. to that. And uh, if, if Bill Tilly thinks the thing you are going to send in sounds uh, sounds like it passes muster, uh, he'll give you our P.O. box. The Greatest Gen Twitter account officially is at Greatest Trek, and that's the same handle used for the Greatest Gen Instagram account. And our Twitch account, which we are uh, on occasionally. Uh, having fun and goofing around. Yeah. We got to thank Adam Ragusea, who made the Janeway song, the theme song of The Greatest Generation Voyager, and Dark Materia, who made the Picard song, the original theme song of The Greatest Generation, which you hear potted down below our voices right now. Thanks to both of you. Uh, catch up with Adam Ragusea on his YouTube channel, where he will teach you how to cook. Yeah, he cooks with music for us. Mm. He cooks with food. With the internet and with that we will be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager internet episode of the greatest generation Voyager where Adam and I uh, try and fail to have a killer instinct which is not really in us yeah passive instinct yeah that's, that's my biographical movie title right there <laughs> yeah fuck around and find nothing out The last episode of Voyager, like they they cruise back into Sector 001, like the fanfare plays. They've Uh they've used uh, breaking the warp barrier to do it, so so they can go anywhere instantaneously. They're like, uh, you made it home. It's great. Uh, You want to go back and visit your kids, which you can do instantaneously? (laughs) No, we're good. Yeah. We're, We're good. I'm sure they're fine. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.